But it's a delight to bring you this text, Mark 8, 1 through 21. It is one of my favourites. I've got lots of favourites, but this is one of them, and I want to explore it with you. What happens in it is um, they're in a desert place, seven loaves of bread. Uh, Jesus distributes them, feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves, enough to pick up seven basket loads afterwards. Uh, it's a remarkable moment. I was at a church once where the minister said uh, that he reckons what this means is that God can take your meager resources and multiply them for the sake of the kingdom. And I think that's undoubtedly true. Undoubtedly true. But I'm not exactly sure whether that's what Jesus meant when he performed this miracle. What we do here at Churchill is take these words very seriously. So I want you to work with me because today contains a riddle, and it's a riddle only some of you will get, but it won't be because of intelligence, it'll be because your eyes are open. So my prayer for you today is that your eyes will remain open as we explore this text over the next 25 minutes. Let's pray. Father, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, open our hearts to Jesus, Touch us, reveal to us truths that are new and fresh and powerful in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. I've called today's message, The Baker King. That's strange, I know. I coined the phrase, I don't think it'll take. I think it's gone, The Baker King. The reason I chose it is because Jesus uses bread to make his point, between chapters 6 and 8 of Mark's Gospel, and of yeast as well. But it's a point lost on the disciples, and without ears to hear or eyes to see, it'll be lost on us too, unless we have a soft heart rather than a hard heart. Without a soft heart, we too will not get it. We won't understand. I believe that if you understand this text today, if God opens your mind to understand about the loaves, then this may be your daughter God. And for those who already follow Jesus, a chance to change your life given the social impact of the Pharisees of Jesus' time because Jesus warns us to beware the yeast of the Pharisees. What does all that mean? Well, the context of our text today is that Jesus has fed 5,000 people with a few loaves in chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel. Now he feeds 4,000 people with bread in chapter 8, just read to us. It's strange to have two feeding narratives. Luke also has two feeding narratives. But why, why spill precious ink saying the same thing. He's just told a Gentile woman that she can't have the children's bread in chapter 7. In fact, Jesus says to her, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Right before miraculously healing this dog's daughter. She's happy to be called a dog as long as she receives uh, the beauty and blessing of Jesus in that moment. Such kindness to a non-Jew, such faith in a Gentile. That's important to remember. If not to say there's lots of bread things going on here, as your English teacher might have said, 
a strong motif. You know when you see a movie and you miss the key piece and the rest of the movie doesn't make sense? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you remember those murder mystery evenings, eight people dressed up. Maybe this is a 90s thing. <laughs> I once went to a murder mystery evening and the evening unfolds. I stepped out of the bathroom at a crucial point and missed some key information and the rest of the evening made no sense to me whatsoever. Well, a key piece here is bread. What is it? How is Jesus using it? And what would you understand or see or hear or receive if you do get it? Now, I'm about to put the text up on the screen. I'll tell you why. It's because you could look at it in your Bibles, but I'm afraid some of you won't. I don't want you to miss this. You can follow in your Bibles if you like, but without seeing this, it's like ducking out of the bathroom and not getting it. Here it is, having fed 5,000, more than enough bread in chapter 6, miraculously. Having fed 4,000, more than enough bread in chapter 8, miraculously. And with the Pharisees cynically asking for a sign, Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples. You've got to get this. They're in a boat. You've got to picture it. So they, then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. But the disciples have forgotten lunch. Rookie mistake. But it's not the real problem. So in verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Jesus appears to riff on this, but with a bigger warning. In verse 15, he says, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of the yeast of Herod. Now, I'll come back to that. Now, like many of us, the friends of Jesus don't get it. So in verse 16, they say, hmm, this must be because we have no bread. I don't know what Jesus means when he says, beware the ears of the Pharisees and of Herod, but it must be because we have no bread. They're reaching, like I was that night in the murder mystery. Hmm, I don't know what's going on. Jesus knows they're reaching. So in verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? What are you talking about? It's not about whether or not you've got the bread. It's about your eyes, in fact, your inner eyes. Do you still not see, after all this time, do you still not see or understand? It's about your hearts. Are your hearts hardened? It's about your ears. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? You see, that was the problem of old Israel, hard-heartedness. But something is going on in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Something's going on here so that some might see, some might hear, some could understand. And then the riddle, and it is a riddle. And he says, and don't you remember, it was just like a second ago, don't you remember when I broke the bread, broke the five loaves for the 5,000, tell me how many basket loads of pieces did I pick up? Mm, 12. Fact. 12 basket loads. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, second feeding narrative, how many basket pieces did I pick up? They answered, seven. Also a fact. These are facts. They know the facts, but it's not about the facts. It's about understanding. And so Jesus then says cryptically, so don't you now understand? Do you still not understand? 
Do you not get it? And that's it. No explanation, no clearing things up, no apology for being cryptic. Jesus says to them then and to us now, do you still not understand? And then goes on to the next story in verse 22. And the reader, that's us, we are involved in the story. You get addressed in chapter 13, by the way. Let the reader understand. The reader, that's us, we say, no, sir, I do not understand. No, sir, we do not. But here is a door to God. So let's crack the riddle and explore some implications. So three questions to crack the riddle. What is the bread? What is the yeast of the Pharisees? And how do I beware such yeast? So firstly, what is the bread? Well, the bread isn't bread. That's what you need to know. Um, well, the loaves are loaves. There are seven loaves that Jesus uses to feed 4,000 people. That's in, in uh, uh, verse 5. And there's only one loaf on the bread. That's in verse 14. But, you know, in the end, it's not really about this. It's about what this symbolizes. It is the life Jesus offers to those who come to him. It is God's provision in this desert we call life. They are in the, in the desert. And it is abundant provision, more than you need. But there's a twist in the story connected to the yeast of the Pharisees and therefore connected with the second feeding narrative, the one to the 4,000. You need to know that both feeding narratives are connected to Moses feeding Israel in the desert at the time of the Exodus, where manna is miraculously provided right, to the people. So Jesus is alluding to that powerful historic moment, which is so much a part of the psyche of being an Israelite. And he's saying another Exodus moment is happening now. A new redemption, manna, or really salvation, life in abundance. Now, just as an aside, it's hard to imagine how the miracle happened. That is an elephant in some people's room from seven loaves to 4,000 people with seven basket loads at the end. It's just the maths don't work. It is only possible if there's a God upholding the universe. It's only possible if he intervenes. It's only possible if God does something different to what he normally does and for a reason. I believe in this moment. You need to know Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 17, where Moses, nearing his own death, said, the Lord said to me, he said, what they say is good, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. There's another one coming like you. A prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. A prophet like you. And this is, he was replaced, of course, by Joshua, Yeshua, Yeshua, which is in the Greek, it means Jesus. But this is Joshua following Moses. In John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, they're explicit about it. So this prophet like you obviously existed beyond Joshua and went on to Yeshus. Because after, in John's account, John chapter 6, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, like the baker king, by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He, he will be king, but not in this way, not by force, not by politics, not by the sword. Now, this was interpreted from the very earliest days to refer to Jesus. Peter quotes Deuteronomy 18 as early as Acts chapter 3. So this is not just about being provided for. It is about being provided for, just not, not only about being provided for. It is about the identity of Jesus. He is the Messiah, the king, the baker king. That's why they want to make him king, by force. But there's a twist here. Why two feeding narratives? Why spill the ink? Well, it's all about geography. The feeding of the 5,000 is in Galilee and in a Jewish area near Bethesda, close, close to the Sea of Galilee. In contrast, the feeding of the 4,000 is in an area, well, it's debated by commentators, but in the region of the Gerasenes, in the region around the Decapolis. That is, it's on the fringes of Judaism at best, or possibly even with Gentiles or certainly compromised Jews. So the 4,000, unlike the 5,000, the 4,000 are unclean or at least less kosher. And this then makes sense of the context. Chapter 7, there's an argument about clean and unclean. And it focuses in on the judgmentalism of the Pharisees. In chapter 7, there's the healing of the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, a dog, who eats bread from the, under the children's table and is happy to do so. You remember that moment? Tom spoke about it last week. Download Tom's excellent sermon last week. In 7 verse 27, if you're following, the Gentile woman wants her daughter healed, and Jesus told her, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. This is often latched on, by the way, for people who want to find a little hole in Jesus' life. Look, you see, he's a racist. You'll see that occasionally in some anti-Christ works. Jesus, of course, is making a point. This woman is not a Jew. She's a Gentile. It's the children's bread. It doesn't, it's not right to toss it to their dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, no entitlement, just humility, just desperation to receive what Jesus offers. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And in the next chapter, chapter 8, the dogs are being fed. 4,000 of them receiving the bread of the children, receiving the life that goes first to Israel. Chapter 8, verse 8, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basket fools, remember that number, of broken pieces that were left over and about 4,000 were present. So, what then is the yeast of the Pharisees? Remember what Jesus said to them in the boat? Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. I don't know if you remember, but about four weeks ago we talked about yeast the metaphor that's connected to bread. Yeast is that little thing that you put in bread that affects the whole. Little bit, boom, all the way through it, like Condi's crystals in a pool. Yeast is tiny at first glance, you can hardly see it, 
but when it ferments, it changes the shape of the whole loaf. Jesus says, whatever the Herod's doing, whatever Pharisees are doing, that's little, but by golly, it affects. The whole lot goes foul because of it. Now, I think we all know what Jesus means, what the metaphor means. A bad CEO can be yeast in a company. His or her management style can create fear or joy through the whole. We know what he means. An employee who enters the office with this internal storm all the time, they're always angry. No one knows if they're going to be okay today. No one knows if they'll blow their passive-aggressive stack. Everyone's walking on eggshells. That's no fun, right? A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. When church leadership is secretive, churches can become places where sin can grow. A prime minister's managerial style is chaotic. A friend of mine used to work for one such prime minister, and he would say the staff was up because the prime minister couldn't sleep. That's what he told me after he ceased to be prime minister. Jesus says, watch out for the use of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Like I said four weeks ago, chapter 6 is about the use of Herod. Chapter 7 is about the use of the Pharisees. And surprise, surprise, there are two feeding narratives. Twice Jesus feeds bread in the desert. Once to 5,000 Jews after Herod makes his scene in chapter 6, and another time to 4,000 non-kosher Jews, or maybe even Gentiles, after the Pharisees make a scene in chapter 7. And both times you learn what to avoid, the yeast to watch out for. The yeast of Herod is the use of power that diminishes, derides, and dehumanizes. Herod stands for bully leadership wherever it is found. Watch out for it. Watch out for it. But today Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, which I take it from chapter 7 to 8 verse 21 is the arrogant exclusion of the unclean who believe that those such people are beyond clean. They think that only the clean deserve the grace of God and nothing could be further from the truth. The Syrophoenician woman proves it. That's why the Pharisees argue about cleaning pots and kettles in chapter 7. Jesus said, their hearts are far from me. Clean and unclean are not about external matters about being squeaky clean on the outside, it is a matter of the heart. And under such circumstances, we are all unclean. We all deserve nothing. We all need grace. And like Herod, there's arrogance from the Pharisees in, chapter, in verses 11 and 12. They come and ask for a sign from heaven. What have they just seen? You know, what's just been... He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. The Pharisees are saying to Jesus, dance, monkey, dance, and he won't dance. But then Jesus gives the 4,000 the miraculous bread of life, access to him. He's the prophet to come. Just like he allowed the Syrophoenician woman to eat the children's bread, he gives those 4,000 bread in the desert he includes them in contrast to the Pharisees who arrogantly exclude them. So, finally, how do I beware such yeast? Well, the answer is you have to crack the code, you have to crack the puzzle, you have to get the riddle, and then actively work against the yeast, the social impact of arrogant bullying and arrogant exclusion. 
Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread, you know? Don't you see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Don't you have eyes to see but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, because if, if you got this, you'd understand, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? Because that's important. Not just a random number. Tell me. How many basket loads? Mm, was there 11? Mm, was there 13? No, there was 12. There was 12 of them. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they went, did someone count five? Was it eight? No, no, it was seven. And so he said to them, so now you understand. Now you get it. What is the riddle? The answer is, Jesus is more than enough for Israel. Enough bread with 12 basketfuls left over, signifying the 12 tribes of Israel. If you know about Bible numbers, you'll see it everywhere and you'll get it tonight. Jesus is more than enough for all Israel. Herod was never going to be their king. Beware his yeast, his arrogant bullying. And, second feeding narrative, Jesus is more than enough for the unclean. That's you and me. He's more than enough for the world. Enough bread with seven basket loaves left over, signifying completeness. And if you know Bible numbers, it's all over the Bible, you get it. Jesus is more than enough for the world. The Pharisees were never going to be the guide for the Gentiles. Beware their yeast, they deal in arrogant exclusion. And so don't let arrogance or judgmentalism get a hold of you or seep into the life of the church. It is yeast that works through the holdo. Be welcoming even as you are discerning. This isn't a blank check for all behaviours. Jesus called out sin as sin. He wasn't soft on sin. But it is a promissory note for the people of God to treat everyone with grace. He is life for all, in abundance, for we too are sinners. And, although not mentioned here, I'd like to think of this this way, grace is a kind of yeast too. Hmm? Grace is a kind of yeast too. It looks small, is that important? But it affects the whole in every good way. Perhaps I'll leave a final word to a UK author who wrote this, it could have been about beware in the East of the Pharisees. He wrote, so of all things, Christianity isn't supposed to be about gathering up all the good people, shiny, happy, squeaky clean, and excluding the bad people who are frightening, alien, repulsive, for the very simple reason that there aren't any good people. The religion can certainly slip into being a club or a cozy affinity group or a war against the world, but it isn't supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is a league of the guilty needing bread. Not all guilty of the same things or in the same way or to the same degree, but enough for us to recognize each other. Do you see but not see? Do you hear but not hear? Are your hearts hardened? 
Let me pray that God opens our eyes. Father, the Apostle Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And so I pray that you'll open our eyes now to see that Jesus is life in this desert we live in. He is more than enough. And that the one thing we want to do as we see that life spread throughout all the world, the kingdom grow, is to avoid Herodness, control and bullying and and um, and the like, and to avoid Phariseeness, <laughs> um, this arrogant exclusion of others, where we see ourselves as better. We receive now from Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.